Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. I'm going to start with a, a comment from John. It's actually placed in his very good book, Becoming Buddha. Bestseller. Bestseller. And it's actually at the end of this segment. But I thought it's a good thing to start with. Remaining mindful of the seven factors of awakening is mindful acknowledgement of developing the eagle path correctly. Mindfulness of the seven factors of awakening may occur during meditation, but should not necessarily be cultivated during meditation. The concentration developed during meditation will provide the spaciousness and focus to notice these seven factors and serve as continued direction. This isn't a contemplation practice. It's not a visualization practice. <coughs> this is a direct experience practice. And throughout this weekend, and it's been good for me because it refocuses you on, you want to be present for when it arises, when it's not there, when it's arising, when it's abandoned, if it's a hindrance, if it's a culmination, if it's a awakening factor. We just want to be aware. And sometimes it may seem like you're not gaining traction, but these factors are laid out so when you're sitting and you feel joy, because you notice that there isn't ill will or there isn't doubt about your practice, that it's there. And I think that's the point of this whole weekend is you can't force it, you can't muscle it, you can't read it, you can't study it. You've got to experience it and establish that practice that twice a day, come to class, read a little bit, come to retreats when you can. And that's the practice. So let's continue with the Buddha's words. Furthermore, one remains mindful of the quality of the mind in reference to the seven factors of awakening. Remain mindful that mindfulness is a factor of awakening within me. Now these aren't steps, but it's interesting that the Buddha, right off the bat, says mindfulness has to be established. Without mindfulness, through our jhana meditation, concentration, your mind be too restricted will be too closed in on itself too hindered by the hindrances 
mindfulness allows that spaciousness to then gain insight to the three marks of existence. And this isn't something we've touched on, but really that's what we're trying to understand. We're trying to understand the nature of impermanence, the not-self-characteristic, and dukkha. So, again, being mindful, that mindfulness is a factor of awakening within me. If mindfulness as a factor of awakening is not present, being mindful that mindfulness as a factor of awakening is not present within me. And be mindful of how mindfulness as a factor of awakening will arise through appropriate mindfulness. Remain mindful of the culmination of the development (coughs) of mindfulness as a factor of awakening. And again, mindfulness is simply to maintain awareness of reality. The second one is remain mindful that investigation of the Dhamma is a factor of awakening. If investigation of the Dhamma as a factor of awakening is not present, being mindful that investigation of the Dhamma is not present. And be mindful of how investigation of the Dhamma as a factor of awakening will arise, again, through appropriate mindfulness. Remain mindful of the culmination of the development of investigation of the Dhamma as a factor of awakening. And what are we investigating? As a new person, it may be, I'm going to read a little bit more. Because you're struggling with sitting or you don't understand the terms. As your practice deepens and your mindfulness is refined, as you sit, you can quietly, calmly see things arise and see if it's present or not present. If your mind is battling the hindrances, your mind closes in. Matt said it so beautifully a few weeks ago. There's, it becomes tight. It's not open. It's not pliable. Your mind's not pliable and open to seeing reality. And that's what the Dhamma is, reality. It's offering you an opportunity to see what your life really is. Not what you packed on your whole life as the story you're telling. You want the world to know. This practice allows you to strip it down. And Brian said it multiple times this weekend that he just realized he could strip down all that stuff and be a more functioning, caring person. Remain mindful that persistence is a factor of awakening. If persistence is a factor of awakening is not present, be mindful that persistence is not present. And be mindful of how persistence as a factor of awakening will arise through appropriate mindfulness. Remain mindful of the culmination of the development of persistence as a factor of awakening. Oftentimes the word is energy. Uh, I like persistence. Persistence points toward a determination to see this through. Not to go halfway with it. To be running on the near shore. The frustration of 
not committing to something and seeing it through through the culmination. Persistence is just your your vigor, and that I, I use that word with my practice that I conducted with a vigor. I, I don't conduct it with a vigor to to awaken. I conduct it so at this moment that I'm as present as possible within the Four Noble Truths and Eightfold Path. I don't have any grandiose goals of awakening and being different than I am now. I just simply understand that this practice can allow you to see this moment for what it is. Remain mindful that joyful engagement of the Dhamma is a factor of awakening. If joyful engagement with the Dhamma as a factor of awakening is not present, be mindful that joyful engagement with the Dhamma is not present, and be mindful of how joyful engagement with the Dhamma as a factor of awakening will arise, again, through appropriate mindfulness. Remain mindful of the culmination of the development of joyful engagement with the Dhamma as a factor of awakening. As you gain traction, as you can sit quietly, as your mindfulness is refined, you'll feel happiness and joy. But, of course, that's impermanent. It will pass, and then it will rise again. But feel joy that this is working. Being in this practice doesn't mean you become a zombie and you get detached. You said detached, and that was a natural question. Dispassion, detachment. I see it as fully engaged with the world. It's not a detachment. It's it's having the clarity, having the the tools that the Buddha has given us and it should be joyful. It should propel you in your practice. Persistence leads to joy. And again, understand that it's all impermanent. So don't come, become attached to this has to be a, a always happy practice. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes the world smacks you in the side of the head. But the practice is there. And what else is with you? The breath. You return to your breath. Mary and I often talk about how it can't be that that simple. It is. It's a reference point. You return to the breath. And Slav said it yesterday. Do I have to keep this all in my mind? No. But as they arise, it's good to know that there is joy or there is not. That the hindrance of worry and restlessness might be what I'm experiencing. And again, the hindrances are probably considered unwholesome, but they just are what you are experiencing. Kevin did it so well yesterday in explaining that, that it's like a tipping of as you're 
mindfulness is more refined, you'll notice that those hindrances are falling away. Ill will and sense desires will be falling away. You won't be attached to them. They'll still be there, but the suffering comes from the attachment, the clinging to. So be joyful in your practice. Remain mindful that serenity is a factor of awakening. If serenity is a, as a factor of awakening is not present, be mindful that serenity is not present and be mindful of how serenity as a factor of awakening will arise through appropriate mindfulness. Remain mindful of the culmination of the development of serenity as a factor of awakening. And again, a calm mind and body is open to see the realities, the realities of impermanence, of not-self, that we haven't heard it yet this week, but this is not me, this is not mine, this is not who I am. That shook me the first time I heard that from Matt. He must have said it a hundred times, but it shook me, it was like, what is he talking about? That these aggregates that were so invested in and tied to, there's this foam on the water, So calm is a necessary factor for awakening. And again, I love the word culmination. It means that it's a process. It doesn't mean that you can't feel many of these things that an awakened person feels, much like the jhanas. There's joy, I believe, in the second jhana, and then it passes because it's impermanent. It's a truly, a, it's a fabrication. Remain mindful that concentration is a factor of awakening. And again, you, you'll see mindfulness, concentration, really effort, all from the Eightfold Path, also in the awakening factors. If concentration as a factor of awakening is not present, be mindful that concentration is not present and be mindful of, of how concentration as a factor of awakening will arise through appropriate mindfulness. So really concentration comes before mindfulness. Our jhana meditation deepens, allowing us to be mindful, to develop and cultivate that refined mindfulness. Remain mindful of the culmination of the development of concentration as a factor of awakening. And then finally, remain mindful that equanimity is a factor of awakening. If equanimity as a factor of awakening is not present, be mindful that equanimity is not present and be mindful of how equanimity as a factor of awakening will arise through appropriate mindfulness. Remain mindful of the culmination of the development of equanimity as a factor of awakening. Equanimity is simply accepting reality without aversion, 
or craving. Again, oh, an awakened one is calm, can sit, and passes no judgment. He has no craving or aversion. It arises and passes away. This is not me. This is not mine. This is not who I am. And that's the hard part. And that's what the practice is for. Mary was talking about it last night. I think it was at lunch. The softening of conditioned thinking versus the jackhammering that you want to do to conditioned thinking. But it's the practice washing over this thing, this conditioned thinking that is what we are. And this practice is what the Buddha discovered. It's an erosion. It's the softening. So, culmination is a neat word because it implies that it's the culmination, it's the end, which means there's a process. You don't have to be fully mindful before you can practice. I think in some lineages, you have to be mindful. You can't even think about investigating until you're like at the height of what mindfulness is. And that's a cruel approach. It means that you can't possibly move forward. It's a, just simply an elitist way to think versus a culmination is a, a gentle word. It's a practice of gentle. That your mindfulness is where you're at. And investigate as far as you can with the level of mindfulness. Feel a joy. Be persistent. Be a bulldog about this practice because that's what it takes. It's not easy. It's difficult. I think that's enough talking for me. I think we should go around the room. Start online. Let's see what we got here. Mateo, how are you this morning? Oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, thank you. Um, I will take a noble silence for today. Laura? Hi, how are you? Good. I guess, um, yeah, and uh, while I was meditating and, and thinking about what you were saying just now, I realized how important it is not for me to um, label things. I, my, I noticed that my brain has a tendency to want to label sounds outside specifically birds <laughs> so um but then the sound becomes so much more beautiful when you just um you know and joyful when you just be with the sound and um again that self-referentiality is kind of put to the side very good it's a uh... That's a sense desire. And there, if I could, that that idea of labeling things in meditation is a common form of meditation. Mm. And it just results in a grasping after every thought by thinking that I have to label it as a 
proper practice rather than what the Buddha teaches, whatever arises allows to pass away. Yeah, and I think that's what we've learned this weekend is just be aware. Be mindful that <coughs> birds are singing. And tomorrow they may be squawking. Same sound. <coughs> but it just has arisen and will pass away. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a subtle practice. It's a, it's, again, it's not a jackhammer. It's a softening of conditioned thinking. Slob, can you unmute yourself? Hey, Slob. Yes, hi. Uh, I have similar experience like uh, Laura described uh, in meditation and realistic life. Always, if something arises, right away try to put some labels. And I notice I put some labels, I try to drop it. And the uh, same experience in meditation uh, sometimes too. Again, is it, John, is that like a, a device, like almost like a, a way to another way of counting? Yeah, I would, I would, I call it a strategy more than a device because it's something, it's a, it's a wrong view that's cultivated in meditation. Mm -hmm. And what we're learning in meditation is these things that arise, feelings, thoughts, thoughts attached to feelings, are rooted in ignorance. And we don't do anything else, including we don't label it, we don't analyze it, we simply recognize it, come back to the sensation of breathing. And that is training for what we do offer a Christian as well. We're not labeling what's occurring in the world. Good, bad, I like that, I don't like this. And it all starts with that jhana meditation, that simple willingness to not label things, to just see them as they are. Isn't that part of the dependent origination too, Nama Rupa? Yeah. Right? You're, something comes into your consciousness, you immediately want to label it, and then you're, it's contacting your, your sixth sense base, and you're just off to the races. Yeah, and again, that's, that's a common form of modern meditation practice. Now, Brian mentioned Namarupa. Namarupa is a Sanskrit, the name and form, and it simply means constant self-identification with this form, Namarupa. Thanks for bringing that up. Slav, are you done? Yes, I'm here. But it's very hard to hear uh, what uh, Chan suggests. Uh, he kind of like so far away and is breaking sound. Yeah, I think it's kind of like mine always try to control everything. Go to Sarai's and try to, oh, this kind of like put a differential. I understand. Thank you. I'll talk to you tomorrow, Slav, and I'll straighten you out. Yeah. John, <laughs> Did you hear that? Yeah. Song? I guess I am on good hands. What <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm on good hands. Oh, good. Thank you, Steve. We'll see. John? What? Start with you. Good yeah. man. Uh, David, uh, it, it's always so nice to, to get a reaffirmation of what a great teacher I am. <laughs> <laughs> you are. And, and you, you really show it. I hope everybody knows I'm being facetious. The, all the effort and praise and respect and honor is due David because he's done the hard work. Uh, all that we're doing as teachers is explaining something that a guy figured out 2,600 years mm -hmm. ago. It's not, you know, 
despite the effort it takes to learn this, to be able to teach it, teaching it is, is just a joy. And, I, and I'm sitting here uh, recognizing that joy in you. you. You seem to emphasize it, maybe even uh, inadvertently, and you, you don't even recognize how joyful you have become being David. Mm. Uh, and you're just such a perfect example of that. And you, you, you touched on, you brought out all these uh, important points um, in what we're talking about. I think <clears throat> nothing more was more significant than how you finished this, and that uh, the, this mind of equanimity is, again, it's not something that is static. It's, it's an incredibly dynamic state that is maintains its equanimity because it is a, it is a balanced view. It avoids extreme views because it's rooted in concentration and refined mindfulness. And you, you explained that beautifully. Mm -hmm. All I can do is say thank you for your efforts. Thank you. And I should point out that we have a teacher training program that's uh, rather arduous. And uh, most of our teachers went through it, but David didn't. David became a teacher on, on merit, on his direct practice, and a, and a little bit of instruction, but not much. Thank you, David. Thank you. Dr. Kevin? Gosh, you know, talk about emotion. You know, it's just um, so deep and and no one way here, I thought a thousand things to say, and it's just it's hard to keep it together because it's just so, so complete and so intense. What, what a teaching! Well, thank you. Thanks for making me cry. <laughs> when I saw the awakening, factors of awakening, I immediately intellectually plopped them against. The hindrances. I was like, this is an antidote. I, this is what solves the hindrances. Like, if I'm lazy and sloth and toper, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm gonna in investigate it. And I, and obviously people have done this already. I was like, oh, it's been done. But to me, it was like this, like, revelation that I figured this out. And then I realized it's just list, and it's the living it. It's living it off your cushion, and and that's John often says the price of admission. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Dave, thank you for your teaching. I think the culmination is is it comes at a, a great time in the retreat, and. It, thinking back on you and the other teachers, how you demonstrate and live the benefits of, of that. And uh, for those of us just starting out, it's inspirational. It's a, the, the Buddha as an example, and his teachings, and the Sangha, that's the inspiration. It's a, it's an energy that I never uh, take for granted, so I'm not unfortunate. So. Dustin? <clears throat> I don't really know how to comment on the teaching because I'm still trying to learn what it means. I mean, I can kind of 
grasp it in a sense, but my experience this weekend is like in the Wizard of Oz movie when they pull back the curtain and they expose that, like my ego is exposed and it doesn't like it. Good. Right? It really doesn't like it and it's, it's that softening we talk about, that's what I keep saying. Just keep saying you gotta soften, you know. And um, but through the meditation, like we talked about, Nina and I, like we meditated three times. We don't meditate that much, and I think by sitting and being quiet and just being in this space and this energy and this intention that's here, um, I had enough room in my sleep last night in my dream because you know I talked about having obsessive thoughts and how these thoughts come, and I forget your name at the end over there, but Brian, Brian um, he had talked about like not feeding those thoughts, you know, like, just, like you said, like just, things come up and just, you know, don't attach and just let things go, and, and I didn't know how not to feed the thoughts, I didn't know what that meant, you know, I, to, I need everything to be practical or something, and then while I was sleeping, I was sort of, in that awake state and I just heard don't negotiate the thoughts you know don't go into conversation don't go into trying to make it better or you know I didn't know that I didn't know it. and that's what I was doing you know so my ego doesn't like this at all but something <laughs> is arising inside of me that's in my sleep or my you know when I'm not so awake and resistant is helping me, so I don't have all the words for it yet, and I, but I know these teachings are helping me do that. John, do you you can speak to that, please. The, 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 just the how resistant the ego is to this practice. That that's the that's the problem, and it are. Uh, let's take away the the. Um, the embellishment of the word ego that's, that's popular today. It's, it's, the ego is often treated as something that we should we should continually um, self-aggrandize and build up in power. It's just the opposite in Dhamma practice. And you explain that beautifully, Dustin. That, that, that this is the problem because the, the ego clings. The ego is sticky. And it clings to anything that will continue its, itself, that will maintain this egoic view of the world. Another word for egoic is self-centered, isn't it? And it's always painful. Any any self-centered decision or action I take, no matter what it is, is always going to prove painful to me and probably painful to the world. So it's best to be rid of the ego. And this is a direct way of doing it. You touched on something that is pure Dhamma practice. You said, and it, this is a good example of how these how the Dhamma works and also how a, uh, an immersion in Dhamma works. You heard something that Brian said in, uh, as part of this whole weekend. And it led you to a moment of Dhamma practice, and that was you realized you shouldn't negotiate your thoughts. That's Dhamma practice. You allowed, you put in your own right effort to cultivate your mind to that point that you were able to see it. Your Dhamma practice interrupted your previously compulsive need to attach one thought to another thought and justify the thought. Now you realize the thoughts are only feeding your ego, and you're able to interrupt it. That's a profound development, and it's a and again, not to blow this out of proportion, 
that is something most every human being that ever lived never get to that point. And it's at that it's a point called honest self-reflection, not an egoic self-reflection, not a self-reflection that is designed to keep it going, but it's, a, it, it's specifically designed to end it. And you example of that. Thank you very much. Thank everyone. What a great retreat. And to go back to the factor of awakening of persistence, you had this experience. Be persistent in its culmination because you've seen a glimpse of its value. And again, maybe you never awaken, but you're better today than you were yesterday, even if it's a little bit. With your little bit of understanding, you've been reading, so obviously you're understanding more than someone just flat footed coming into this room. But that's what that persistence is. And feel a little joy in it. But don't attach yourself to it because tomorrow may be a, a little slide backwards. And that's just life. So, mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to observe silence. Thank you. Jane, my friend. Thank you, David. You've been teaching me long before you became an official teacher. Mm. But, um, in this moment, I feel incredible joy and peace that it's something I haven't felt. I don't believe ever the kind of joy and peace I feel now in, in my life. And, uh, but like you said, something is very impermanent. And I realize this life can hit me in the head, you know, but it's, in the past, that would have prevented me from, just knowing something could happen would have prevented me from feeling this joy. But now I know with the practice that, you know, it's okay. I have something to help me work through whatever comes up. To be fully engaged with your life. So it's, it's, it's a, like I said, it's a feeling I've never had before. So thank you. Well, I've enjoyed our kind of parallel journey. So thank you. Becky? David, you uh, teach by example. <clears throat> so I feel like Jane just watching you, how you have doggedly taken to the Dhamma is inspiring. I want to ask a more practical, maybe person, maybe maybe personal, but I hope not too personal uh, question. Because I'm having I'm having trouble deciding if what continues to happen during meditation is my ego or is just something that is very difficult for me to accept and it keeps coming back. So I notice when I meditate and especially throughout this weekend because I've done a lot of meditating in a short period of time 
that something that was quite traumatic in my past keeps keeps coming to the forefront of my mind even though I haven't maybe even thought about it in in re, in a real way um, for you know I don't know weeks months but when I when I'm really meditating it just pops in and it doesn't feel awful but it has a lot of emotion attached a lot of emotion comes up and um, once that happens I feel and I think a little bit about it and I, I look at it as as something that you know happened I try to look at it as a I don't know. Um, as a point of reference, I try to make myself a point of reference to, to remembering this and thinking about this and having this pop in just and just like taking me by surprise. And then um, I just let it go. But my question is, in letting it go. Am I coming closer to accepting it and, and really truly realizing that part of this is my ego and accepting it in a real dhamma-matic way? Or am I just pushing it down again and keeping it submerged until I meditate and my mind gets spacious and then bam it comes back. So do I just keep doing this and eventually I will be able to accept it? I mean, does anybody know the answer to that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But one thing I'm gonna do, we're gonna start a new advertising campaign shortly, and that's gonna be the afraid to catch phrase. It's Domomatic. <laughs> 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 that's perfect. I was trying to think. I mean, that's what this is. This is dogmatic. You do it, and it's automatic. You're going to wake it. Uh, David, please answer. No, I, I, I think, Matt, I think this is appropriate for you. So, you know, the short answer is yes. Just keep dispassionately observing what comes up in your mind as it comes up. And one thing that you can notice is the quality of that charged emotion that comes up as a memory or as some other artifact of perception. Each time it's come up this weekend, what's the volume of it? as it's come up and you've been able to oh, observe excellent. it and, and watch it. Mm. You know, if, if you're noticing that it's changing in that you get there and you're, you notice this thing come in on its own, you didn't think about this thing, just something just bubbled up and, and it went BAM! and took over your nervous system and took over your thoughts and took over your feelings and took over your quality of mind. 
And then you just stayed with the practice and came back to the sensation of breathing in your body. And it followed the law of impermanence and it passed on its own without you forcing it, muscling it, doing anything about it. And then the next sit, here it comes again. And this time it's not BAM! It's blah, 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 blah. There's a quality change to it. Okay, that's good. That's yeah, very helpful. That's you mentioned the word helpful. emotion. We've got such great teachers here. Uh, an emotion is a thought attached to a feeling, isn't it? And yes. This is a, this is a long, long-ago trauma that keeps coming up occasionally. You said you don't think about it. Right. Jhana meditation is designed through the four foundations of mindfulness to start interrupting or untangling a thought attached to a feeling so that it can actually be let go so of So I can actually look at it. Yeah, right. so when you start seeing it, and it as a feeling and as a thought, if the thought separated or not clinging anymore to the feeling, then you'll be able to release it. But you're going through the direct and mindful process of doing just that. The fact that you yeah. recognize it, again, it's like what I was saying to Dustin, that is Dhamma practice, to recognize. Here's this emotion, and you're doing exactly what you need to do to interrupt it from coming back. Perfect Dhamma practice. Thank you. Does that help? That helps a lot. Thank and you. One more thing i got to say when Becky's talking. You know, I don't talk often, so... <laughs> uh, Becky gave birth to a wonderful woman. Mm. When I think about it, uh, one of our other teachers who couldn't be here today because she's a bit under the weather, uh, and we really miss Jen. Uh, I know we do, and I meant to acknowledge her last night because I, you know, I taught her her segment. And, uh, Jen would have done a wonderful job with the six and face. So Becky is the Sandra mom. So thank you. For all <laughs> that. Wonderful thank you, John. Thank, thank you, John. Thank, thank you for. Reminding me what a great kid I have. Yeah. Although I don't, oh. I don't need to be reminded. I know. <laughs> Brian? Thank you, David. Um, I think in the beginning, I, I saw those seven factors of awakening and, like, oh, yeah, uh, that's what I want, right? I want to awaken. That's the thing. I want to be enlightened. And then as I got more and more mindful, and, and the word that jumps out now is that mindful. Everything the Buddha is talking about hinges on that mindfulness. The rest are just concepts. They're, they're not the, the goal. They're not the destination. Be mindful of this. Be mindful of that. Those are guideposts that you will inevitably experience as you continue to develop the concentration and mindfulness. So now it's no longer. It's just not a concern. It's not a worry. It's mm. not. A, it's not a desire. It's, it's the continued mindfulness that you begin to experience all of that regardless. So, thank you. If we think about John's explanation, Karma, look in the mirror. At that moment, your thoughts, words, and deeds, if it's based on this Dhamma, I think you're in pretty good shape in the next moment, in the next moment. And don't worry about the past. And don't go too far in the future. You do your planning. But that moment in front of the mirror is everything. It's 
your life? Mary? Um, I have so many things. Um, thank you for the teaching, David. And um, it was so well thought out. And I know some of your English teachers from high school, and they would be very proud of you and your preparation. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I think that, you know, your placement in, in this whole weekend is very appropriate. We're ready to hear this um, at this point. The things you emphasized just really brought it to life. So thank you very much. Um, so thank you. Thank you, Mary. Teacher Ron. Thank you for coloring in the the map of our practice here, and and um, kind of illustrating it with with your own experience, and, and I thank the sangha also for. Um, bringing in their little illustrations in this in this map, um, and it's you know <clears throat> each of ours our understandings of of this map is is continually growing and getting more detailed, but also getting more coherence. Mm. Um, yeah, just as, as as you did when I first saw this uh, seven factors. You know, in your case it was ah oh, good, a list, and for me it was like ah oh, Jesus, another list. <laughs> uh, but it's not a list. It's 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 a map. It's it's something to um, help you uh, find your way. David, wow, what a what a teaching! Uh, you know, beautifully terrific insight, uh, and and you know, on a personal note, the, these seven factors of when I think of them, I think of you. You know, through through the time knowing you here, and you know, uh, the joyful engagement and investigation part. Um, you know, I've always just that would when I think of that, I think of you. And today, the way that you crafted this was just incredible. Uh, the word that you use that's really just really ringing in me right now is erosion. What a word yeah. you chose there. That's, that that really, literally means time worn. Mm. Time to wear away these wrong views. This wrong view of self that we will talk about at other times. To wear away these hindrances. And, and that's just a beautiful, beautiful metaphor that you used. And, and then to, to lead into the insight into sort of the you know, not that the seven factors have a priority, but, but the last two are, are really, you know, we're talking about the top of the lighthouse, the crystal mm. here. And, and you, with, with such beautiful tact, just illustrated what we practice for, calm, 
and in the world, what is it like at peace? And, and those words are used by the Buddha himself. We are calm, we are at peace. So, mm -hmm. so wow, uh, the insight developed there just, just is incredibly powerful. And uh, I think you embody these seven factors so well. And we're of all great benefit here to have that in our Sangha. So David, thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Truly, thank you. Thank you. David, uh, well, I, you know, to echo Ram and, and Kevin, I think you've been teaching us this particular section for maybe four years now, <laughs> and it just keeps getting better as your practice gets deeper and deeper, and um, it's, I'm really proud to, to watch that. It means a lot. Um, and, you know, to echo Ram is that you know, thank you, Sangha, everybody here and online, um, for your, you know, vulnerability and honesty and um, real dedicated practice this weekend. And that's, that's what it takes, that's what it requires. And everybody here showed up for that. And, you know, for John and I, that's everything. So... Really appreciate y'all. Thank you. Powerful, powerful moments yeah. this mm -hmm. weekend that took place in little French town mm -hmm. and not Juan. Yeah. So place doesn't matter. Right. Still offered. And Sun here is, locally. Sun is here. Uh, mm -hmm. We're going to take <coughs> 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. What time is it now? It's 20 after 10. 20 after 10. Yeah, say 11 o'clock. Just keep in mind, uh, Ram is going to finish up. And truly what we do keep in mind, ultimately keep in mind. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.